Well, I got a, I got a note from Sister Vivian, and it said that, uh, I thought it said Brother Pete was going to teach. But I think maybe it just meant he was going to lead service. Could you clarify that for me? <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> well, I hope you brought a pillow and a blanket. Sister Kim, did you bring your blanket? <laughs> Sister Kim, and there's a few others that bring their blanket to morning prayer. And I'm not sure why, but... Some of you may have not have heard this story, but when we were in the old church, we had prayer at 6 in the morning. And uh, one morning... Um, and up at the altar, if you, got to the, if you got there quick enough, right at the altar was a heat vent. And in this kind of weather, people tried to get there so they could kneel right on, by that heat vent. And one morning, all of a sudden, someone's snoring. And every head popped up, except the one that was snoring. And it was Brother Jones. So I like to tease him about that all the time, but anyway, I have 20 pages of notes. That's why I asked if you, I never have 20 pages of notes. If I have four pages, I'm happy. Um, so hopefully you can bear with me tonight. We might just be here for morning prayer. Who knows? Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You can be seated. We've been hearing much about revival, uh, people coming into the church, people starting to live for God, people searching. Um, and I'm going to teach to you tonight about altar workers, altar workers. Um, so that's what we're going to do. It's a, it's a vital part of the church, but before we get into this, I have just a couple notes here. Um, This is just for housekeeping, I guess. You, that's what pastors call this, is housekeeping. Um, if we could uh, not park in front of the garage doors, that'd be great. Um, we have a van that, in there that we need to get out. We have skid steer in there that we need to get out at times. And so it's just uh, nice not to have to track people down and have them move their cars. Also, we have a lot of children running in and out of a service. And we sometimes have a lot of parents running in and out of a service. 
with her kids, of course. Um, I started kind of late. You know, we sit in the back there, my wife and I, and I counted one parent taking their kid out of the church six times in a 40-minute service. Six times. Um, Brother Walters always used to say, if you're going to take them out in the foyer, make sure they don't want to go there again. In other words, you train them not to want to be in the foyer. You train them to want to be in church. Um, and that's good advice. Brother Jaden's not here. I was going to use him as an example. I think they might be listening to the service tonight. But You know, Jaden's just this kind of guy that, in fact, I went to the eye doctor today. I haven't been to an eye doctor in 40 years. I don't like doctors too much. You know, my brothers I like and, you know, those guys. But I don't like going to doctors. But I prayed and I said, Lord, I need a good report. I got enough stuff wrong with me. And uh, sure enough, I got a good report. He said, you're blessed with good eyes. I told him I use readers once in a while. And he said, just keep doing it. So uh, anyway, he knew Brother Jaden. And uh, he uh, was saying how nice a guy Brother Jaden is. And I, I, I said, yeah, I totally agree. He's great. I love him. Um, but Jaden used to be quite a character, I guess, when he was younger. I missed part of it because we were in Grafton. But um, I remember one time his dad <clears throat> was holding him in church. And Jaden was trying to get away and, and kind of act up a little bit. And, and Greg said he just held him tight, wouldn't let him squirm or anything. And, he, and Greg said to himself, I'm going to win this battle. <laughs> and so he held him until he finally felt Jaden kind of release his will and sat nicely in his dad's arms. And so we can train children to want to be in church. Now, believe it or not, children are smarter than you give them credit for. I've told this story before, but I don't think everybody's heard it, so I get to tell it again. <laughs> That's one of the things about being a pastor. You tell the same story over and over. Brother Walters used to do that too, and every other pastor. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, it came back to me. Um, our daughter Kristen was about, she was less than a year old. And she was running around the house. She had just a diaper on. And, and uh, my wife and I were sitting in the living room. And, and uh, I had something that needed to go in the garbage. So I called Kristen and she waddled over to me. She just learned how to walk. And uh, I handed it to her, and I said, go put this in the garbage. 
And she stood there and she just looked at me. And I said, Kristen, go put that in the garbage. And she just kept looking at me. So I picked her up and put her over my leg and I gave her a swat on the bottom. Now she had a big diaper on and it didn't hurt her one bit. And she started bawling and my wife was ready. If looks could kill. I would have been dead, not Kristen. <laughs> she was glaring at me and I said, just wait. She goes, she doesn't know what you're talking about. I said, just wait, just wait. And we sat there for a minute and she kind of finished crying and sniffling and she went and put it in the garbage. They are smarter than you give them credit for. And some of our kids in church here are really training their parents. They're training their parents that they want to be out in the foyer and not in church. It should be the other way around, right? Parents should be training their kids. Oh, well, I made some of those same mistakes too. That's why I'm here to tell you don't do what I did. But we don't need to take them out quite that many times. We shouldn't. Because we're just training them to do that themselves when they get older. Um, so, anyway. Okay, back to the lesson. I used up five minutes and I still have 20 pages. But altar work is a vital part of the church. Now, I don't think that they had altar worker lessons on the day of Pentecost. Those people that were there were, were convicted by the preaching and it said the Holy Ghost fell on the people. It was, uh, I'd like to see that sometime. Well, I guess I've seen something. You know, when we were in uh, the Philippines, um, Brother Shane was preaching the children's crusade, and 250 children received the Holy Ghost. That was quite a sight. And I've heard of, you know, being in crusades where even more um, received the Holy Ghost. You know, thousands have received the Holy Ghost in crusades. So it's happening today. Um, and I think, now when we, th when we think of altar workers, we think of people praying with people to get the Holy Ghost. And I'm just going to put this to you because I'm going to talk about being an altar worker, but I want to put it to you this way too. I wonder if it should just fall on them. You know what I'm saying? That is, there should be, in the people seeking the Holy Ghost, there should be a deep desire to have a connection with God. And that should um, allow them to receive the Holy Ghost. But I've seen, well, let's see. Who can I use? Uh, Brother Kieran, can you come up here? Now, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit in my lesson, but when we're praying for someone, now I'm going to have you turn, face the front like you're seeking the Holy Ghost, 
Um, we shouldn't be directly in front of them. And some of us do this. If, I, if, if there's a crowd around a person and I come over to pray for someone that, to receive the Holy Ghost, I'll step right here and pray for them. But generally speaking, we shouldn't be in front of them directly. Have you ever, because I've noticed this, I'll see little slits in their eyes and they're looking at me, wondering what I'm doing. And it takes their attention off of connecting with God. So it's best for us to be on the sides praying for someone. Um, and in, in some churches, they only have the ministry praying and speaking to people, talking them through the process of repentance. Because if we're going to get the Holy Ghost, we have to repent first, right? Um, and so we don't want... I've, I've watched some altar services where it's actually kind of comical, but you have two people talking to this person. You have one person talking in this ear, and you have one person talking in this ear. This person's saying, just let go. Let God have his way. And this person's saying, hold on, hold on. <laughs> There's confusion. Well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to hold on or let go? <laughs> and I watched in Grafton, we had one man that would come and pray for people at the altar that was the cheapest massage in town. <laughs> He's rubbing their back and praying for them. Just, you know, going like this. And I'm thinking, man, let me pray for the Holy Ghost for a while. So we have to be careful. And I think once we instruct them on what they need to do for repentance... I think we need to let them make that connection. We should be praying with them or worshiping with them. Because this brings about an atmosphere. But we don't want to overpower their prayer and their worship. In other words, if they're praying somewhat quietly, we don't want to be screaming prayers in their ear or worshiping loud and distracting them because they'll, they'll stop and listen. And then again, we're taking their mind off of what they're really wanting to do is get in touch with God and receive the Holy Ghost. Um, <clears throat> another common mistake that we make is we want so desperately to see them receive the Holy Ghost but in reality, they really need to, once they've repented, they really need to get baptized. What did he tell them to do on the day of Pentecost? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is an order to it. Now, I believe Cornelius um, received the Holy Ghost first. He was the first Gentile. But the reason he received it first was to show that the Gentiles were able to receive the Holy Ghost. And then he was baptized, he and all his house. So <clears throat> there's an order. So sometimes 
if we're instructing someone on what they need to do, we should talk to them about repentance, help them maybe guide them through a prayer of repentance, give them some time to repent, and then talk to them about being baptized. Because they can receive the Holy Ghost, I think sometimes easier coming out of the water. Because there their mind is on. Thank you, Jesus, for washing my sins away. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And thanks, by the way, is a one of the greatest ways to enter into the presence of God. He loves praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So, but I, I, I want us to be very aware that we can be very distracting sometimes in the way we pray for people and, and, and while we're at the altar um, trying to help them and, and, and actually sometimes we're hurting them. So, thank you. <clears throat> With that being said, we do not want to come to church and come to the altar and try to pray someone through the Holy Ghost, and that's our first prayer of the day. That's why we have pre-service prayer. That's why we should have... Oh, and by the way, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that some churches require the ministry to be the ones that do the instructing. But I would kind of like to see our whole church involved in altar work. Um, I should... As... When I was pastoring, I... I would have to, I would have someone here praying for them, and I would have to look around and try to get someone's attention to come and pray with them. I should not have to do that. When altar call comes, you do not need to kneel in your pew and start praying for yourself. You need to be at the altar helping people. And the more there are, the more... You felt it. You've been at the altar and all of a sudden someone starts worshiping and all of a sudden it spreads and it catches on and all of a sudden you have goosebumps. You feel the power of the Holy Ghost. They're feeling it too, the people that are seeking God. And that's the place they need to be to receive the Holy Ghost. So we shouldn't have to search out people to pray for people. Make sense? Make sense? I mean, that's why we're here is to see people receive the Holy Ghost. You have your time at home. You have early morning prayer that you can pray for yourself. Don't disappear into the back room somewhere during altar call. I watch people, as soon as the preacher says, Let's stand. There's people walking to the bathroom. (sighs) 
Don't let the devil talk you out of it either. Oh, you're not worthy, or you can't do this, or whatever the case may be. God wants to use all of us in some way, some form. It's really, it's simple. And I'm not saying, you know, it would be nice. I mean, if you teach Bible studies or you study the Bible study, you know what you need to tell them. You know you need to tell them about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and then that they'll receive the Holy Ghost, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Um, one thing we should learn to do, and this is somewhere in my notes, and I'll come upon it again, but it comes to my mind right now, is we should learn to read people. Not only read people, but question them. Find out where they're at. Find out if they've repented. Find out if they've been baptized in Jesus' name. Find out if they're a backslider. Find out if they need the Holy Ghost. Find out if they want the Holy Ghost. Early on in my ministry, one time we were in Florida, and, and I went to the front, and I was praying with some visitors. And the one person was bawling their eyes out. thought they wanted God so I was praying that way for them and here they were crying because they broke up with their partner they didn't want God they were just feeling bad because of what happened now if I would have talked to them I would have known differently they were lost they weren't saved but at that point I could have talked to them I could have tried to steer them in the right direction. But once they're up there praying and bawling, and it's kind of hard to steer them out of that low point in their lives and try to get them to pray for the Holy Ghost. Um, <clears throat> Most people that are here for the first time, they don't know much, they want direction. They want to be told that they need to repent. They need to be told that they should be baptized in Jesus' name. Because it's very uncomfortable being somewhere and not knowing what's happening, what's going to happen, and what they're supposed to do. It's kind of like, for me, um, you know, like the very first time I went to a global missions board meeting, I was very uncomfortable because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to expect. Um, so to have someone just talk to me say this is how it's going to work that would have been great because then I would have been comfortable in the meeting um, <clears throat> you know we talked about the, the uh, preparation of a seeker repentance Actually, baptism in Jesus' name should come first. Um, so that they can receive the Holy Ghost, so that when we work with them, they know what's next. They know what should be coming next. Um, I read several articles on altar workers, and 
Um, I've taught on it before. Uh, I found some notes from Brother Griffin, and I found some notes from a few others, and there were some interesting things in there about working the altar. Um, some of them believe that we should always try to get the visitors to sit in the front, but it's natural to want to sit in the back. It's natural to just kind of sneak in and sit in the back row and be inconspicuous and not... But there's a lot of distraction between the back row and the pulpit. There's a lot of distractions. Kids, parents taking their kids out. Oh, I got that in there somehow. Um, so we can be distracted very easily. They can be distracted, especially when they're new. It's new surroundings. It's unfamiliar to them. And, and our worship and our prayer and our services are quite different than most churches. You know, when I came to this church for the first time and I had been a Catholic, whoa, this was different. In fact, my wife came to the altar to pray and I stood in the back and watched her. And then when she was done, she come walking back there and I said, let's get out of here. This is weird. <laughs> it was to me then. So um, if you sit up front, there's less distractions. Um, as far as preparation, one of the things you can tell them is that, um, you know, worship is one of the best ways, in my opinion, to receive the Holy Ghost. Giving thanks and praise and worship to, to the Lord. Um, he loves that. He says he's in the midst of our praise. Where two or three are gathered, he's there. Um, <clears throat> so I, th I feel like a, a lot of people um, receive the Holy Ghost in worship. I remember someone testifying. I can't remember who it was. It was someone in the Bismarck Church. Um, they were at home, and they were. she was making the bed, and she took the sheet and kind of went like that to get it to spread out and cover the bed. And she said all of a sudden, it, it kind of reminded her like the Holy Ghost falling. And she started speaking in tongues right then. People's perceptions affect them receiving the Holy Ghost. One man was told... Now, here's where we got to be careful. But one man was told that he'll see a ball of light when he receives the Holy Ghost. Well, he waited a while. He's in a church service. A storm comes, lightning strikes a transformer out the window, and he's looking that direction when it happened, and he received the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so, you know, as far as we know, they'll speak in tongues. That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost, not a ball of fire. So we should stick to the basics and not give them a lot of extra information.
And I'd mentioned earlier that we should learn to um, know where that person's at. We should, we should try to learn to assess where they are at spiritually. Um, and sometimes that just will come through visit. They might not know anything about Scripture. Or they could be well-versed in Scripture. They could know a lot of Scripture. So <clears throat> finding out where they're at spiritually can help us talk to them. You know, if they're very versed in Scripture, um, and, and we're talking some real basic stuff, we could just be boring them if you will. Or if they don't know anything and we're trying to talk way up here, it just goes over their head and they never catch on. <clears throat> now I said we need to be prepared too, so we need to use those prayer times before the service during the day praying at home for the things that we personally want. Because that, that worship service, second service on Sunday, is usually our evangelistic service where we try to reach people. We try to see people saved uh, in that service. We try to see people receive the Holy Ghost in that service. So we should be prayed up for that service so that our prayers can be directed to the Lord for those people that are seeking him. And I mentioned this earlier, but when we're praying with people, worshiping with them, we should try to be at their level of volume. Uh, so we aren't a distraction to them, so we're not interrupting the Lord. Now, I believe, I believe this. You know, in an altar service, you know, the preacher preaches a message and people come forward and, and you see tears and you see people weeping and praying. And I believe that God can do more in five minutes at the altar than he could do the whole rest of the service, the whole rest of the day, the whole rest of the week. So, Sometimes it pays for us to be quiet and let that person pray because they are connected at that point when they're feeling that. And let God talk to them. It's much nicer to have God tell someone what they need to do. I mean, you know, if a new person comes in, um, we should never never tell a new person they're not dressed right. If anybody does that, it needs to be the pastor. And that would only be, in my opinion, you know, that would probably only be in an extreme case. I mean, we don't want to offend them right out of the gate. But I've also heard of people coming to church, receiving the Holy Ghost, and they go directly home and empty the liquor cabinet. And nobody said a word except God. <clears throat> 
Now, those kind of convictions are going to last much longer if it comes from God than perceived as a rule. Because that's coming from the heart. I've seen situations where new visitors were coming, new people were coming in, they were getting the Holy Ghost and, and uh, come here for a service and they're gone. They never come back. After a little investigative work, found out that someone was telling them that they weren't dressing right and they wouldn't come back. Let the Holy, I prefer, you know, I've taught on holiness, I've taught on our standards, I've taught on dress. I try to do it when it's just the church because I'd much rather see the Holy Ghost convict a person because it just seems to last longer. Sometimes we can invoke, when we're working the altar, sometimes we can invoke faith or we can destroy faith. I remember one time I heard someone doing this and I thought, that's interesting, I'm going to try it. It happened to be uh, one of Sister Jody Sletton's nephews. He was here in church praying and he was up here praying for the Holy Ghost and I walked up to him before he started praying and I said, I I'm not even sure which one it was. I, I'm not sure. But I said to him, I said, when, when I pray for you and lay my hands on you, do you believe that you'll receive the Holy Ghost? And he just looked at me and said, yes. So he starts praying. I let him pray for a little bit. And I lay my hand on him. As soon as my hand hit his forehead, he started speaking in tongues. He was ready. He was expecting to speak in tongues. He was expecting to receive the Holy Ghost. And we've all seen how dynamic Brother uh, Robinette is with people receiving the Holy Ghost. He just tells them it's going to happen. And his great faith affects their faith. So, um, some of the things, huh. as I, I mentioned earlier, it's best to stand behind them. It's best to start praying quietly. You don't want to blow them out of the water right away with a full volume prayer close to their ear. Um, the other th another thing is, is um, they should know we're standing beside them when they hear our low volume prayer or worship and not bad breath. Or body odor. 
So I would recommend that everybody shower before they come to church. Brush your teeth. Bring some mints. If you don't have a mint, come and see me. But sometimes, you know, if you eat garlic before you come to church, there aren't many mints that'll help that. Um, And sometimes bad breath just happens. I think we've all probably had it at some point. And so we need to be conscious of that. Um, That's another good reason not to be right in their face. During altar call, there are times when we might want to instruct them. We might pull out a Bible and start showing them scripture so they see it in the scripture. So they're more convinced of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. Um, but that should be minimal because that's, that's disruptive, especially if they're really praying. Um, One pastor wrote, don't, don't spit or blow your bad breath on them. I suppose we could buy a big wind guard, put over their head. Um, so knowing the person, there are some people that don't like to have hardly anybody around them. They feel closed in, and, and it's very hard for them to pray when there's a lot of people around them. Some people it doesn't bother. Typically, just observing and knowing, well, that person's pretty quiet. They probably don't want a crowd around them. Or, you know, I, I, I recognize the fact that when my wife's sister, her name's Bonnie, when she first got the Holy Ghost, it, when she got the Holy Ghost, it happened just like this. Now, she is loud, and she's not afraid to say what's on her mind. So it was easy for her to speak. You have to speak to receive the Holy Ghost. You need to encourage the people to speak, to be in worship and prayer. Because if their mouth isn't open, it's not coming out. But for her, it was very simple. So she received it just very quickly, just like that. You know, and it's, it's almost 8 o'clock. And I'm on page 9. Well, maybe I can do this in two lessons. Um, Sometimes the saints of God have a special experience when they receive the Holy Ghost. And 
it can be different for everyone. God will sometimes do it in a different way for a different person. There's, you know, he knows that there's something that special that that person needs to receive his spirit. He'll sometimes, he'll do that. But that doesn't mean that everyone after them is going to have the same experience. So we want to be careful not to put great expectations on people that this is going to happen when you receive the Holy Ghost, other than that you're going to speak in tongues. Um, we, we need to know and understand that from a spiritual standpoint, God made us with an empty spot in our lives. And it was meant to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with God's presence. And so a lot of times people want that filled. You know, they know or they subconsciously know that all the toys and the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it is, is not satisfying that empty spot in their heart. They, they actually sometimes, you'll feel worse when, when you do that. Let's say you're struggling with alcohol and you'll have a drink and then you're, it's condemnation. You're beating yourself up and just about talking yourself out of salvation. Um, so it's, you know, you just got to focus on living right, doing the things God wants us to do. Um, typically a new seeker knows very little about prayer too. They don't understand how easy it is. They don't understand that it's just a conversation. They think it has to be, you know, because when they hear one of the saints pray, they're thinking, wow, I can't pray like that. Um, and even within the, the church, there's people that are very fluent in prayer, and it's easy for them to pray and uh, have grand sounding prayers but then there's there are those that just don't have that ability and it's more of a casual conversation that's fine god just wants a relationship with us he doesn't care how great we sound or how eloquent we are he wants our heart and so we need to convey that to the seeker, the one that's seeking God. Sometimes we'll even try to, if we're praying with someone and we, we're hearing them repent and all that, and then we almost force them to stand up and raise their hands. You know, we can maybe suggest it, we shouldn't force them. It's not going to, we, we can't force people to get the Holy Ghost. I've told people before when I've talked to them about baptism, I said, you know, I'd really like to tie you up and baptize you. But it just doesn't work real well. They have to make the decision. They have to come to that themselves. 
You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of cruising through these notes, and there's so much in here. And I think I might just touch on this another lesson. Because I have in here some issues like talking about problems that seekers have that we need to deal with. And some of those things, and it's, it's uh, 10 more pages of notes. You know, sometimes it's hard for them to believe that God would forgive them. And sometimes they believe that they've created the greatest sin in the world and God won't forgive them. Rare. That's rare. God's so merciful. You know, he's so merciful that he delights in mercy. He's very compassionate. He came to this world to die for our sins that we could be saved. So, let's stand. Um, I have a book, some books I want to give away before we're dismissed. Um, this book is called Blessed. Thank you for your mercy. Help us, O oh God. Help us to reach these people, God, that they might have a better life. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.